What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law, 6pm Tuesdays. Welcome to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM. And also welcome to those listening via podcast or streaming on 3cr.org.au. Your hosts tonight are Indra and Sue. It's just after 6pm on Tuesday the 3rd of August. You're listening to content that was pre-recorded on Sunday the 1st of August. We would like to start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the original and rightful custodians of the land we're broadcasting from. We also pay our respects to elders past and present. We acknowledge this land was stolen, never ceded, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Tonight we're going to be talking about sex workers and access to financial services provided by banks. Thanks, Indra. Just to set the scene, here's a bit of history and context about the treatment of sex workers in the justice system and the mainstream economy. So Australia's always had a really hypocritical response to sex work. In the late 1970s, courts would fine women for solicitation, which was against the law at the time, knowing that the only way they could pay those fines was to go back to solicitation. More recently, there's been concern over whether the NDIS scheme, so the National um, Disability Insurance Scheme, should be used to pay for sex workers to provide services to disabled people. And for the purposes and the focus of tonight, many in the sex work industry are actually denied access to banking services. This is not based on credit risk or other individually assessed financial risk. It's based on occupation or industry type. And this is by banks. And the banking code of practice is the kind of regulation that covers bank behaviour. And currently this code doesn't give any protection to customers from discrimination on the basis of occupation or industry type. The code provides for access to services for some categories of consumers, but not small businesses. And that's kind of the crux of what we're talking about tonight. Sex workers and sex work industry businesses as small businesses. And that's also where um, we're focusing on the review of the banking code of practice, which is um, on right now. So sex workers and sex industry businesses Australia-wide are aiming to have their say on this problem about access to financial services. This review happens every three years, but discrimination and lack of access for sex workers has not been raised in previous reviews. So to talk about this really interesting conjunction between this particular industry and access to financial services, we have two fabulous guests with us. Our first guest is Dennis Nelthorpe, AM, adjunct professor at Victoria Law School and law and policy consultant to the not-for-profit sector. Dennis has worked intermittently with sex work 
um, advocates since the Neve inquiry into prostitution in 1985. That's a long time on this work, Dennis. Welcome. <laughs> Hi, Sue and uh, Indra. Yes, it um, certainly brings back some memories and it's interesting that even though we started to address some of the hypocrisy that was pretty clear in the community, it, it really hasn't gone forward as fast um, as you would expect. And, you know, the, the Victorian Parliament and government are currently considering further moves to decriminalise the industry. Um, but I also think it's, as you said in the introduction, it's worth noting that um, small business has never had, uh, was never covered by the banking code and anti-discrimination um, issues or discrimination issues have never been part of the jurisdiction of the industry-based complaint schemes, the current one being the Australian Financial Complaints Authority. Mm -hmm. So to get um, some coverage, and, and the banking industry has acknowledged that small business in general should be covered by the code, I suspect it was a last-minute addition to the last version, but it, it hasn't included really significant areas like access and financial hardship. So it's a really good time for advocates within the sex work industry to be putting pressure on the banking industry to overcome sort of, you know, some of their 19th century attitudes, really. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to having a little bit more of a talk with you about that. Um, but now we'll introduce our second guest, uh, Dean, who is coming at this from lived experience. He works in the sex industry and is also an advocate for the rights of sex workers uh, and human rights generally. So welcome, Dean. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, Sue. Hi, Hindra. And hi, Dennis. Okay. Why, why is the banking code of practice important? It's not really a law, is it? Well, it's actually a really interesting observation. Um, most banking law until the banking code, banking law was all based on um, common law cases often out of the 1850s when ordinary people didn't have bank accounts. <laughs> More recently, the banking code, there is a provision in the banking code that says that it is enforceable as a contract, as a part of each and every contract. So what's in the code becomes enforceable by you, um, both in courts and in tribunals or, or industry complaint schemes. Um, however, there are, you know, there are many issues that are not covered by the code. Uh, and the main complaint scheme for banks has some very significant exclusions from the jurisdiction, including commercial decisions about whether or not to offer products. Right. So the banking code, in effect, is the civil law. Um, instead of having a banking act with a whole lot of consumer protections, we have a banking code. And it's quite interesting when you realise that that code is owned and run by the industry, uh, but it's always had significant input from the consumer advocates but interestingly not small business so what you're saying there is that even though it's a code and it's it's sort of a kind of regulatory framework that's actually owned by 
the industry itself and not not something that's created necessarily by the in the normal way that we think about laws it's drawn into the legal space by the fact that every customer has a contract with a bank and it becomes part of that contract is that right that's right uh and it's also worth noting that if you make a complaint about a breach of the code it the code is governed by a code governance committee and there's also the capacity for the Code Governance Committee to investigate breaches of the code, not just in relation to an individual, but on systemic issues. So the code is, in fact, quite a powerful tool for uh, consumers. Uh, but as I said, um, small businesses are very late addition to the code. But the banking industry itself in this review has acknowledged that not only should the code cover small business, but that it that it needs to cover it in a far more significant way than it currently does. So, do, Dean, in your experience, do all banks have this attitude towards businesses in the sex industry? They're not worthy of their services, or are some worse than others? Than do, are there any that do the right thing? It's it's a yes and no answer, I guess, because. Um, the, the, our community is really tight-knit, so we're very well um, attuned to what's happening in the broader community and what happens to us regarding the banking sector. So if someone has a bad experience uh, or has their account closed, we'll hear about it really quickly, uh, Australia-wide. Um, and given the rise of internet and the, the use of social media and uh we hear about things really, really fast. And so if someone has a bad experience with, say, Bank A, we'll hear about it, we'll hear why, we'll hear about their circumstance. And so in 25 words or less, here's your answer. It, <laughs> it, uh, it really is across all sectors of the sex industry, whether you're a private worker like myself, who is in the male-to-male community, sex worker community, whether you're a female worker, whether you're a a trans worker, whether you're a a brothel worker, sorry, a brothel owner or an escort agency, everyone has been affected in some way or another. Um, In terms of uh, my particular area, which is what I'll call private workers, where we work by ourselves, where we are small business operators, in my opinion, there have been many cases where banks have, as well as payment service providers, have closed accounts. When they have found out, uh, whether through our own honesty or whether they've just found out uh, that we are sex workers. Wow. So it's actually quite common. Yeah. Mm. Gosh, and, there, and there's, there's actually um, a, a complaint that was made to AFCA, the Australian uh, Financial Complaints Authority, um, uh, against the National Australia Bank by an escort agency where the escort agency said, you know, um, NAB has withdrawn access to their banking services just because we're an escort agency and that's not good enough. And um, the bank relied on the code saying, you know, um, well, and uh, this links back to what Dennis was saying before, this, you know, this is a commercial decision and we we see it as... Um, you know, appropriate in um, in our business um, to 
make a decision based on um, a discretion. And they basically were saying that they thought that was a high-risk occupation because, um, you know, um, this is a place where money laundering and human trafficking happens. And, you know... So I think one of the issues for the banking industry on this is uh, because there's no evidence that um, trafficking or money laundering are particularly... Um, high risk. And in fact, if you're a lawyer and you think about the sex work industry, you'd have to be a bit stupid to use yeah. it for money laundering because you would expect that to be the first place the police might look. But yeah. the real question is, is that a convenient excuse or is that, what, mm. is that really cover for we're uncomfortable, our staff mm. are uncomfortable with people working in this industry? Yeah. And I think it's the latter. I don't, and again, if you think of, you know, yes, there have been some cases of sex trafficking, but if you're talking about single person small businesses, they're not likely to be based on sex trafficking. Um, yeah. So, so I think part of the problem here is that that's been a convenient excuse mm. used by the banks, and I, I suspect they'll have to go beyond that. Mm. It's interesting, though, that there's, there is an assumption um that there's a possibility of that more likely in the sex industry but every other business including gambling or whatever is assumed not to be and um so there's a real um hypocrisy in there um mm. that's probably what I was getting at before yeah. this it's idea. A, there's a lot of generalizations yeah. and from these generalizations comes the overall uh, very very simple minded stigma of if you're involved with anything that involves sex or the word sex, therefore there, there comes this moral panic of, mm. well, we need to exclude you from services uh, because you're, you're the, certain businesses, especially banks, are extremely risk adverse to anything to do with sex mm-hmm. and the sex industry. That, that's my general um, understanding and impression of the banking industry. And I've had a few conversations with people involved in the banking industry and they've, they've come back to me to say, yes, we are extremely risk adverse, uh, especially with anything to do with the sex industry. They've been up front, but they can't put that in writing, unfortunately, it, which is fascinating. It, it also raises another issue, which is that denying access to basic banking facilities, this is also about access to services. As a result of these attitudes and and, and connecting to what Dennis just said then, um, have many workers been pushed into the cash economy and how, how does that how's that impacted them, sex workers, and how's that impacted them? Do you know? So you have two, two schools of thought. Again, this is just my very limited anecdotal um, evidence. So have, having spoken to various sex workers over the years because I've been involved in this industry for many, many years, there's two schools of thought. One is you, as Dennis had mentioned, you present as a small business operator, but uh, in a different industry. So it's whether it's health and fitness or beauty, uh, sales, something else. And then you deposit your your, your weekly income into your, your local bank, or you don't declare the income at all to anyone, whether it's your, you know, your accountant, your bank, it's all cash. You keep cash on hand um, on your premises or wherever. Um, and you completely go underground mm. into some sort of, you know, other world. Um, and I know 
I know sex workers in in both of those camps who have who have lived uh, very successfully in those two arenas. Moving forward, though, how does one secure a bank loan to mm. buy your first property, for example? As we all know, property prices, because of COVID as well, has gone through the roof, whether you're renting, whether you are looking to, to purchase a property. I myself, in my own personal situation, I'm looking to purchase a property in the future. So I I will need to develop or have a relationship, a business relationship with my bank. Over the years, I haven't done so because I have been very um, aware of the stigma of sex, sexuality, as well as being in the sex industry when I've gone to my banks, my local banks, to deposit money. Mm. Because the bank teller, usually the bank teller in my in my my banks, has always said to me, or been trying to be very approachable, has said to me, hi, hi, how was your day? What are you doing so far? How's work? Blah, blah, blah. Just the general chit-chat. In my case, what would I, what what have I said? I, you know, oh great, I've just done X amount of guys today or this week. No, mm-hmm. I've said business has been great. You know, I've yeah. I've worked in, um, for example, as a personal trainer, which is true. I'm I'm actually a qualified personal trainer as well, and I've had personal training businesses. And I've so I've said, you know, as in the conversations in my local banks, yeah, business has been you know not bad this week, or maybe it was a bit quiet. You know. Mm-hmm. I'm having a great day. I'm off to have a coffee before the next personal training client. Mm-hmm. But there is another side to mm. the cash, and that is, you know, more and more businesses are trying to avoid cash for safety reasons, forcing sex workers to hold on to cash is a safety issue in itself. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Exactly. And you want to be discreet because, you know, from what I see, the majority of us do see ourselves as business owners. We go to work, you know, we 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 provide services, we go home. That's it. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, what is wrong with that? You're providing a service. It's in a particular type of, you know, niche market, niche industry. It's work. That's it. Mm-hmm. So in order for us to be treated as workers or as small business operators, we need to take it to the next level. And the natural progression is, well, we need to open up a business bank account. We need to have a relationship with our banks or building societies or wherever we go or our service payment uh, providers, whether we use FPOST facilities or not. We need to start going into the 21st century, the 22nd century, you know, (laughs) way, way into the future. We need to start using the available technology around us. We can't just run around with bags of cash. That's, That's insane. We're not yeah. the 1960s or 70s. We're, you know, 2021 going into 2022. I think Indra's got a question for you. Yeah, I was just going to ask on that note in relation to, I guess, the Victorian government, which has, I guess, in light of the review that was conducted by Fiona Patton, they are kind of set to change Vic laws in relation to this and hopefully decriminalise um, sex work completely. Um, And I guess off that back of that, it's going to be um, a push for standard industry business laws to be put in place. What what impact do you think that will have in regards to the banking discrimination that's occurring if if those laws are passed? It's a really interesting question. Um, My feeling is the more that the laws are decriminalised, the more um, 
the banks are going to have to change. And I, and I think one of the problems is that a lot of the decisions in financial services, I can remember an insurance company telling me that someone who smoked dope was a moral risk. And this was like in the late 80s or something. I said, look, I can put my hand on my heart and say I'm one of the few in the community who haven't done that. But you do realise <laughs> that if you're going to knock out everyone who smoked dope, um, you may not have any customers left. And, and the same company told me that they had a rule that they wouldn't insure people from the um, the rock music industry. And I said, <laughs> I said, really? I said, does that mean all those advertisements you have with Normie Rowe are not fair income? <laughs> and like I said, because you're clear, I mean, I'm assuming that you, you actually do insuring. And I think we're going to have, you know, the same with medical marijuana or if marijuana is legalised. I mean, as the community changes, financial services need to change with it. And I think the change that Fiona Patton is championing will help make it easier to say to the financial services industry, you just got to get with the times. But I, I also hope that one of these days we will have some much more frank discussions about the many different ways in which, or the many different reasons that the people go to the sex work industry for their services. Mm. Exactly. The, the the Fiona Patton review is just the tip of the iceberg. It's not going to solve every single minuscule law we have because it's just going to take a little bit of time, but it's a starting off point, which is great. Yeah. And hopefully, as Dennis was saying, it will start conversations. It will slowly lead to change and we will get there. Absolutely. So if you want to connect this back to the Banking Code of Practice review, is um, what I understand you both saying is what what's most important is that small businesses are captured in there so that sex work um, is also by definition captured. Is, is that right? Yes. Um, it's quite interesting. Like um, if I just take another section that small business is not in the financial hardship, the type of difficulties and the needs of, small business in who are in financial hardship and in, in significant debt are clearly very different from day-to-day -day consumers and it's just not covered. Now, if you simply provide normal coverage of the code to access to services, it's not access to services for sex workers, it's access to services for small business. And once you do that, in reality, I suspect that the moralistic stuff will drop away fairly quickly because it's much easier to discriminate against one industry if you're actually entitled to discriminate against all the other industries. If you're not entitled to discriminate, if, you, if you've got to provide basic services to all small business, it is much harder to target one or two industries and say, oh, we're just going to leave them out. Mm. Exactly. And, and to just further um, add to Dennis's um, notes, there are actually more positive effects um, of including the sex industry in banking. One of them is tax. By saying that, you know what, this industry is a business, this industry is making money uh, through consenting adults. Therefore, if they have uh, bank accounts, if they pay tax, well, it's a win-win situation for the general community at large. Mm. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder if the government has been thinking about that. Well, there you go. <laughs> but, you know, we, we're going to pay our tax. I mean, I pay my taxes, so 
It's just more tax that I'll pay, and that's fine. I'm happy yeah. to do that because we know pays for our roads and services and utilities, and yeah. you know, we need we, infrastructure. We need all of this stuff, and that's great. Mm. So if if I'm treated as a as a small business operator, that's fine. I'll pay my tax. Brilliant. Yeah. And do you think then it would have much of it or any impact on a on a complaint that? that is made in the future, like the one we were talking about earlier, where the escort agency complained against the bank for withdrawing their services. Do you think that would be impacted by this kind of change? I think it will be because I think if they have to provide reasons and they say, for instance, oh, well, we're concerned about money laundering and someone can then come back and say, well, look, there's simply no evidence that money laundering occurs in this industry. And if you think about it, it's not likely to. Um, I think the bank will then have to... And, and, I mean, in the end, we're not talking about loans here. We're actually talking about basic banking services. And, you know, it's, where's the risk to the bank in that? If you take out money laundering... And, by the way, I should add... When you look at who do, who money laundering goes through, it's more likely to be lawyers and accountants than sex workers. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you know, no, nothing against lawyers or accountants. <laughs> no, but it's kind of ironic that you know they point the industry, they point the finger at this industry when in fact it's much more um, traditional and um, you know sophisticated supposed industries that are the, the real sort of problem areas. So I think that that it will make it. Um, the, the bank will actually be required to give reasons and sooner or later that's going to cause them to fall away. And I've certainly seen other areas, um, I've lobbied on lots of these codes, once you get something in, a lot of the problems you wanted to address disappear because no-one actually wants to actually have to say, look, our main reason we're a moralistic bunch of bloody jerks and, you know, <laughs> the CEO's a churchgoer. Um, so, so, I mean... <laughs> I do think it will have, a, have an influence. Oh, dear, it's always entertaining chatting with you, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like we've only got a couple of minutes left. Is there any more you would like to ask, Indra? Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing that really just sort of blows my mind in relation to this is just that the scope of the discretion that the banks have, I mean... From what I've read, it's just incredible that they can sort of have the power to just say no. And I, I mean, tell me um, if I'm wrong, Dean, but like the, the process of this happening is also incredibly fast. Like banks can just kind of shut down people's services within like a day or two days, you know, which is like really quite um full on, <laughs> I think, yeah. without any kind it, of notice to people. Like it, Correct. Yeah. And, and the... The thing is, though, it's affecting people who are, um, as I said, small business operators. So anecdotally, I have friends who uh, who have had their business uh, their uh, business accounts shut uh, literally overnight, and it makes them think, "Well, okay, if you don't want my my business, where can I go?" Mm. And uh, I know a few people who haven't been able to uh, reactivate certain types of business, for example, FPOS facilities. Mm. So, you know, you can go in with, you know, um, uh, any bank and open up, a, say, a savings account or a business account as a, in, in quotation marks, beauty therapist or yeah. health and fitness person. 
But the thing is, though, how how do you establish your proper business? Uh, yeah. It, it's it's all very kind of smokes and mirrors, and it's like how how do you navigate in this in this field of this minefield, literally? And it, it's 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 disheartening. Yeah, it really yeah. is disheartening because we're supposed to be this civilized society. We're mm. supposed to have all of this fantastic technology at our fingertips, and yet if it's denied us as well as other people in our community, that doesn't make sense at all. No, no. And it's, it, it just doesn't make sense to me at all. I don't no. understand it. And it, it, it forces um, people in the sex work industry in, into a space of assumed impropriety, like, you know, I have to cover what I do because um, it's not going to be acceptable and that's, that needs to change. Yeah. And the banking industry needs to change as the community changes. So... Mm. The financial services industries need to be able to move with the times. And part mm. of the problem here is that they're not. Exactly. Decriminalisation is key. That's the first step. We need to decriminalise the sex industry, uh, the sex industry laws, I should say, sex work laws. Uh, once we have decriminalisation, that's the first step towards a more equitable mm. um, environment for us to have backing services and facilities. Okay. Um, I reckon that might be time, Indra. Am I right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Thank you both so much for coming onto the show and sharing all of your knowledge in relation to this issue. And if our listeners are inspired to now make their own submissions to the Banking Code of Practice Review, Google Sex Work Law Reform Victoria and you'll find this fabulous website that has lots and lots of ideas for your submissions. Um, but you need to be quick because the closing date is this Thursday, the 6th of August. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, Done by Law returns next Tuesday at 6pm. Stay tuned now for Voices of West Papua.